I have to have an innate sense of trust with the sponsor. I like to hear them talk. I like to get in meetings with them, review some of their past projects, and listening to them, how they think about investments and how they think about the operation of the building. This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Arne Senadella. Arne is a real estate investor who is now based in Greenville, South Carolina. And today we're talking about transitioning from single family property investments to passive syndication investments. This is one of the things that is out there, folks are looking at, and Arne is right in the thick of it. Arne has an extensive real estate background. He's been involved in the real estate world all over the country, primarily in California for 40 years. He's got four decades worth of real estate experience, and he's decided at this point in his life and career that it is right for him to transition from single families to passive syndication investments. And today we're talking about why somebody might wanna do that, why you might want to, if you're a single family investor, why you might wanna sell those off and get into more passive investments. If you're not into real estate investing right now, this is still very important because a lot of us, when we first start learning about real estate investing, we only know about single families. So that's the only option we have to consider. So we just do that. This interview will open up your eyes and show you another option that maybe exposes some of the weaknesses of these single family property investments. So once again, our guest is Arne Senadella. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love talking about this topic. There are a lot of folks out there who are looking at making this transition or who already have made this transition into syndication investments. I love both actively and passively investing in syndication. So I'm all about it. And we are presenting a great case study for you here today. Thanks for tuning in. Without any further ado, here we go with Arne Senadella. Arne, thank you for joining us today. Hey, uh, Taylor. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, looking forward to chatting with you. Absolutely. For those that don't know, we met on Bigger Pockets. You're talking about getting out of selling your single family property investments and investing in syndications. I thought that was a really interesting strategy. And before we dig into that, Let's learn a little bit about Arn. So can you tell us about what you've done in real estate and what your investments have looked like and kind of what's gotten you to where you are today? Sure, sure. Be glad to. So I've been in real estate a long time. After I got out of grad school, I returned to the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. I went to work in my father's residential real estate company. And he was a busy investor and he kind of did it old school, buying single family homes, renting them. And I kind of followed his model throughout my career, probably have owned 30, 35 rentals uh, over the last 30, 35 years. They've been very good to me, have some nice equity built up. But of course, keeping track of 10, 15 rental properties, collecting the rent, paying 15 mortgages a year, 15, or sorry, 15 mortgages a month, 
15 property tax bills, keeping track of the insurance, doing the bookkeeping, uh, takes some time. And uh, now that I'm 65, my time is pretty valuable to me. And I want to kind of be relieved of the day-to-day duties of managing a single-family rental portfolio. So over the last six months, I've educated myself about syndications, primarily multifamily syndications, and have made two passive investments to date. And I'm excited to learn more and kind of continue this process transitioning my active portfolio, transitioning my equity into passive investments, which will also probably increase my cash flow. Most of my investing has been in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hard to get cash flow out of single family Bay Area properties. Uh, My philosophy then, back then would be, hey, do you buy a property 25% down? And if it paid for itself, you were happy and you just took the appreciation that happened over five, 10 years. Now that I'm a little older, I think I'm more on the cash flow side and the passive investments do better uh, for me in that aspect. Mm. So you've owned rentals kind of all over the place or a little bit, uh, a little bit dispersed based on the, the information that I have. So where are your rentals versus, you know, where you've been living over the years? Has it all been remote, local? What's that look like? It's been a mixture of both. So when I was still working in Silicon Valley, I owned rentals in Charlottesville, Virginia, Austin, Texas, as well as a few in the Bay Area. So The local properties, generally, I've managed myself. Of course, I've had property managers with the remote ones. So I've had a mix of remote and local rental properties. Um, About four, five, six years ago, my girlfriend and I decided to leave Silicon Valley, kind of a lifestyle change, and we moved to Greenville, South Carolina, which we love. It's a great place. If you ever have a chance to come, come visit a great downtown. In any event, all my rentals are now in what's called uh, the upstate of South Carolina, which would kind of be Greenville, Spartanburg, the northwestern part of the state. Uh, Many are within a mile or two of my home. I have great tenants. Many of them drop the rent off at my house, sticking under my front mat. So I'm kind of been a very hands-on manager, but I'm just ready for something different. And that's where I'm at now. Interesting. So I see people doing this shift kind of all over the place, selling off single families and getting into syndications for some of the reasons that you mention that, you know, it sounds like it takes a lot of work to manage these rentals. And I wanted to kind of dig into that a little bit more and what it has looked like for you over the years. You said you kind of are a little bit more of an active manager. You kind of do a lot of these things yourself. So you lined out a few of the things like paying mortgages, insurance, all of that. But tell us about the day-to-day, week-to-week of running this investment property portfolio and like what your time commitment was, all the things you needed to know, the resources you needed to have. Let's learn more about what that was like. Well, sure. So um, 
one, you have to kind of build up a team of vendors. Most single family rentals, you're generally going to have two issues. It's either going to be plumbing or it's going to be HVAC. So I've always developed good relationships with my vendors and I generally have a go-to vendor and it's a nice relationship. I'll call them up. I'll go on. The HVAC is not working over at this property, say on Bust Avenue. Here's the tenant's name and number. Call the tenant, make an appointment and go over and they would take care of it. I'd work with people that I totally trusted. I would show them the respect not to hassle on their invoices. You know, if I felt they were giving me a fair price, uh, that was fine. It was more important to me just to get the job done, get the job done right, and be done with it uh, because I didn't kind of want the headache. So that made my life a little bit easier having service vendors that I could count on and trust and who knew me and who I had a relationship with. Other than occasional repair issues, most of the time for me would be spent on kind of accounting, bookkeeping, record keeping, just trying to keep track of the money coming in, the money coming out. Um, I just used Quicken. I didn't have any property management software, and it was adequate for my portfolio, 10, 15 uh, rental properties, maybe 20 doors. But even the record keeping takes some time. Uh, The rent comes in. You got to get it to the bank to deposit it. I've been very fortunate in being pretty good about selecting tenants So I think in 40 years, I've maybe only had to evict about two or three tenants. So my story is not one of nightmare tenants. I have a pretty good sense of people and I had a process that I would evaluate them on, including to a large degree, my gut sense of who they were. So I didn't have nightmare stories with non-payment of rent and so forth that many Single family uh, rental owners do. Many, many landlords do have trouble with with collection. Of course, having to go through the process of eviction is never fun and it costs money and you probably lose two or three months rent, even if things go nicely. So for me, it was more just uh, the record keeping, the files, turning the data over to my CPA, that I probably spent most of my time. And in reality, it was probably no more than on average, you know, five to eight hours a week to do the bookkeeping, but it's still something that needed to be done. And um, so, you know, I had to do it. Yeah. And that kind of uh, time commitment builds up over time and folks have different levels of whether that five to eight hours can really be effectively uh, squeezed into what they have available. And uh, I wanted to get into also your making the shift from owning single families to getting into syndications and kind of what, what was the trigger that, or the switch that flipped in your mind that made you think, I want to get out of these single families and find something else, or maybe you knew about syndications. I don't know. Tell us about that. It's really interesting. When I moved to Greenville, I met 
a nice young guy on the treadmill and we struck struck up a conversation and he happened to be in real estate and we've kind of become friends and um, we talk to each other and so forth and he's doing great. When I first met him, we talked about flipping a single family house and now he's actually probably syndicated two or three of his own deals. So wow. he's really an impressive young man, uh, played college football, worked for ESPN. And I joke with him. I go, I love you, Mario. And he goes, well, I love you, Arn, and blah, blah, blah. And so he has kind of exposed me to the syndication world and has offered me participation in one or two and they weren't maybe just quite right for me or maybe I wasn't quite ready. And so when COVID hit in March, this is an honest story, true story. When COVID hit in March, I think all property owners became concerned about rent collection and what was going to happen. And oh my gosh, I've been in the business since 78. So I've been through a lot of economic changes up, down. I sold houses when mortgages were 16.5% interest. <laughs> I paid 11 and three quarters to buy my first house. So when I see rates at four, it looks pretty good. So anyway, Mario calls me up and he goes, well, Arn, what do you think of this COVID? And I go, Mario, I don't know. And uh, I go, I'm going to be really interested to see how my April rent collections are. And he told me about a project he was working on, a potential syndication deal. And he has a larger portfolio than me. And it's a little bit different clientele. I'm probably more BA kind of rental professional uh, kind of tenancy a couple years out of college where he's more workforce housing rentals and has some larger apartment buildings. And so in talking about it, he goes, hey, there's a podcast I want you to listen to. And it was from a famous syndicator out of the Bay Area. I can mention his name or I don't know. But in case, a big time syndicator out of uh, the Bay Area, which is where I'm from. And he was discussing COVID and what impact it might be on the market. And that was really the switch. Honest to God, at that point, I started listening to two or three hours of podcasts a day. The gyms were closed. I'd go on my bike and I'd listen to podcasts. I'd walk my neighborhood for an hour or two. I'm kind of a fitness freak. That's what I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a little obsessive there, but it's all right. That's a topic for another day. So it really just started to intrigue me. So I just listened to podcasts, started following maybe 10 or 15 of the top podcasts in the syndication space. and. It was fascinating to me, and during my residential career, I actually went through the entire CCIM training program, and I have a science and math background, so kind of the numbers and this and that appeal to me, so I signed up for a couple online boot camps, summits, and just started learning, 
And the whole rationale behind multifamily makes sense to me. The economies of scale and operating the buildings and managing them and handling repairs, economy of scale is a big thing. The unbelievable financing rates that are available now on, you know, agency loans. I mean, if you can borrow money at three and a quarter, three and a half percent and get it fixed for 10, 15, 12 years, you're going to make money off that loan, right? The loan will make you money. And then, of course, I'd say the cash flow is better on multifamily. If you invest in the good areas, you get market appreciation. You can also force appreciation by improving the property and, and managing it and running it better. Of course, you get the tax benefits. And the other thing is you're able to invest in a variety of areas and also different kind of asset classes. And I find that attractive. I'm 65, I'm financially secure, so I don't need to hit a home run. Well, I'll be honest, I've never tried to hit a grand slam. I've never tried to hit a home run. My <laughs> investing approach, my, and I'm not saying it's right, it's just what I've done. My investing approach was to just hit line drive, base hit, after base hit, after base hit. And if you do that for 15, 20 years, you're going to be in pretty good shape but there's a lot to like about multifamily, not to say other types, office and retail are not also potential places to look. But I think particularly doing COVID, if you've looked at those segments, multifamily has done outstandingly well. Rent collections are maybe down what you probably know better than I, Taylor, three to 5% off pre-COVID. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe rent collections have gone from 97 to 92. I, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? And my observation, it's the trick of averages because some areas are right around that figure that you're saying. And then some are way lower than that because they might have a long-term eviction moratorium or, you know, and tenants know that or things like that, that it once you dig into the subclass of property and location and things like that, that you get a little bit more information. But on the whole, yes, I, I would agree that rent collections haven't been like annihilated, but it's kind of a the trouble with averages, I suppose. Yes, they, they provide useful information, but you have to dig a little deeper and look at the specifics. The two passive investments I've done, I would consider them like core plus investments. So solid suburban areas, maybe A minus to B plus type properties, tenant median income of 85,000. So for those properties, I think they perform fairly well. And I know there's an age-old argument is C-class C the best place to be in a recession. Everybody has their opinion. I'm not sure what's right. Just personally for me, I kind of like the A-B space. Um, again, at my age, at my stage of life, more concerned with preservation of capital, some decent return. I don't need explosive capital growth at this point. 
So, yeah, I'm glad you alluded to and, and kind of shifted toward the syndications because I wanted to really dig into what somebody like yourself, you have an extensive experience, years and years, decades of experience in real estate, both as an investor and working in real estate. What do you look for in these syndications that you're looking at? And when you're evaluating a passive investment and particularly you're comparing a, a passive investment against single families that you already have. So I'm sure there are some passive investments that aren't good enough for one reason or another. So let's talk about that, what you look for, what you're turning down, what you're going for. Let's get into it. Sure, sure. Yeah, great question. I'm sure most of your audience kind of weighs and have their own criteria and they're trying to sort through how they need to evaluate for their particular situation. One size doesn't fit all. Everybody has a little different perspective. One's not right, one's not wrong. It's what's best for the individual person. So for me, I would say strong number one is I have to have an innate sense of trust with the sponsor. I like to hear them talk. I like to get in meetings with them, review some of their past projects. For me, it's kind of a gut instinctual feel that I just try to rely on by getting to know the people, oftentimes through podcasts and listening to them, either as the host or a guest, and listening to them how they think about investments and how they think about the operation of the building and that, that it's a business and kind of their approach and also some level of consideration for the tenants. There are customers. And I think people who are fortunate to have some degree of financial success and security in this world, in our country, owe a duty to our larger community to provide safe, decent housing at an affordable price. You know, hey, spread the wealth. You create a win-win situation. If you create a nice place for folks to live, you're going to get good tenants and your life's going to be easier. They're going to be happy. So I like to also get a sense that there is some consideration for the tenants and some sense of responsibility that, yes, it's a business and we want to make a return, but we also have some kind of larger duty. And in fact, doing the right thing is most often good business anyway. So I would say the sponsor and just my sense of who they are in terms of character and, and integrity is very important. And then their kind of philosophy about how real estate investment and business should be done. As you can tell, I'm a little on the conservative side. So I like a little more conservative approach. I think one of the passive investments I went in, it was 65% loan to value. They weren't financing it out. The break-even point, which is 
how many percent of your units need to be rented in order to pay the debt service was I think like 54%, (laughs) right? So I kind of look at those things. So I'm probably not going to be interested in a big value add type project, particularly right at this time in the cycle. Maybe a year from now, I'll feel a little differently, but I think now it's just, let's kind of hunker down, let's be smart, let's not be foolish. So I think that's my kind of approach. Of course, there are areas that I like in the country. I moved to the Southwest for a lifestyle change, but getting to know many of the cities in the Southeast We almost moved to Charlotte. We decided to go to Greenville. We love Nashville. There's a lot to like about the major metropolitan areas in the Southeast in terms of population growth, job growth, housing affordability. Nothing against Texas, which is a great market, and I've invested in Austin and did very well, but I particularly like the Southeast. So I think. That's the other thing, kind of the location. We've already discussed I'm kind of more a class A, class B type investor. My other passive investment has been in the Boise area, which I've been trying to get into for years. So I kind of like areas that I think are on the move and that have some growth ahead of them while still kind of being affordable and and offering kind of reasonable cash flow. Great. I appreciate that. We got quite a bit of information there and I'll try to unpack some of it just to to line it back out. Please do. Yes. Summarize it. Yes, please. Thank you. (laughs) You first look at the sponsor and their ethics, the feel that you get from them. And you'll evaluate that by listening to them on podcasts, getting to know them, looking at their past deals, things along those lines. And then you move on to the deal itself and to backtrack a little bit and explain one of the terms that you used, break-even occupancy. For those of you listeners out there that don't know, he said that deal, 54% occupied in order to break even. That means they need to have paying tenants in 54% of the units. And that is very, very, very low. So that is a would be considered a conservative deal. So that's fantastic. And then you're going to look at the deals themselves, make sure the tenants are being treated well, and you're not looking for home run deals. You're looking for, like you said, to continue with the baseball analogy, solid base hits in markets that you like. There are a number, but we can get into that on another day. But Markets with solid fundamentals. Yes. (laughs) Love to. (laughs) Yes. Love to. It's fascinating. I mean, one of the things I love to do is fly into a new city or drive into a new city. We usually get a hotel room kind of right downtown. And then we just get out and get about and talk to the people in the restaurants and the bars and the parks drive some neighborhoods, talk to some real estate folks. But, you know, those real estate folks are always trying to sell you something. So if you're talking to, you know, the waitress at lunch, she's going to give you her honest take on what's kind of going on. And so for me, it's very fun to go into different new markets and, you know, the old boots on the ground 
for us, it's more fun. So we're not marching around with boots on, but so I kind of enjoy learning new cities. Um, I've taken two trips to Huntsville, Alabama and love that as a market. Uh, haven't been able to find anything, but uh, anyway, so I enjoy learning new markets. Yeah. The search continues. I love it right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Aaron, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, as you know, because you're a listener, are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Great question. Great question. So I, I had a wholesaler send me a fix and flip property. It was an old, ugly house, but it was on an acre. And uh, it wasn't far from my house. And um, so I, I took a look at it. The house wasn't much. I couldn't make much as fixing and flipping it. But I thought it had some subdivision potential. And since I keep track of the planning zoning, planning commissions meeting in the city, I knew there had been a recent subdivision application about a half mile down on the same street. So I looked it up, found out who the engineer was that did it. Talked to him. He said, yeah, we can subdivide it. So I subdivided off two lots. We renovated the house, sold the house for a profit, ended up having the two lots, which we sold to builders about 18 months. And that was a very successful deal due to me recognizing with the acre, there were subdivision possibilities and tracking down the engineer who had did the deal down the street so I couldn't make it contingent. I had to take a leap of faith, but based on talking to the engineer, I had a pretty good sense we could do it and we could. So that one worked out well. So can you give us a rough idea of the return you made on that? And if you remember, if you're willing to share? Yes, I would say that it was probably about a 40% return over an 18 month period. And basically we did it with cash. I had a few old clients in the Silicon Valley who invested. And I also just posted on my Facebook, hey, Greenville peeps, I got a, a deal. Do you want to invest? And two or three people I had no idea would be interested in investing did. So I ended up putting, I think, maybe seven people, including me, in together. So we just, we paid cash for the deal, financed the, I mean, did the renovation out of cash. So it was pretty simple and straightforward. It was a lot of fun. There are two beautiful houses built there. Uh, I didn't want to build new. So I was just happy to sell the lots. And of course, my investors were happy to get their return in a short period of time. And uh, so that was a very nice, nice transaction. Nice. That's an awesome deal. On the other side of that, we had the best investment. Now, what is the worst investment you ever made? So the worst investment was also in Greenville in a um, area close to downtown that is extremely hot and is kind of transitioning. There was an old rundown duplex, a total wreck. I got it at a pretty good price. And so 
generally when I renovate properties, I tear them down to the studs and install all, all new plumbing, heating, electrical, windows, roofs, kitchen and baths. I like to do things first class. My intent was to get the duplex, renovate it, rent it and hold it long term in a great area. It turns out even though there were duplexes on the street, the property was owned single family. And I kind of knew that, but it didn't seem to me to be a deal. There's affordable housing issues in Greenville, like there are in many areas of the country. And so I figured the city would love me for rehabilitating basically an unfit building into modern health and safety standards and providing some affordable housing. I probably would have rented the units about $800 a month, uh, and it would have been a nice little rental for me. But what ended up happening was the cost of the renovation was more than 50% of the value of the property. So the city then said it has to meet current zoning. And the current zoning was single family. So I go, okay, well, let, let me renovate it and flip it as a single family house. But right about that time, I was kind of getting very interested in multifamily and syndications. And I just kind of decided, no, I don't want to invest 100000 renovating the house, take six to nine months. So I ended up selling it to a builder who's going to do the fix and flip. I lost a couple thousand dollars on the deal, so I wasn't hurt. But that's probably been the worst deal that I, I did. And I should have been more careful about checking with the city and the zoning and with my plans and whether they thought it would be acceptable. It, it never occurred to me that they wouldn't want me to keep it as a duplex, but live and learn. And so lesson learned. Wow. That is a tough lesson to learn. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? What I would say is there is karma. And so I try to conduct myself with enlightened self-interest, meaning I try to do the best I can for myself and my family but I don't take advantage of people and I don't treat people unfairly. There's a way to be a successful investor and you can go about it with integrity. And so I think what goes around comes around. And, and if you conduct yourself properly, good things happen to you. And so you benefit that way. So that, and then the other one would be, go for the line drive base hit, do things in sequence, build the foundation and step up. Don't skip the steps. Like anything else in life, it's kind of a slow process and you got to go step by step. Some people can jump five steps and maybe they make it, but I think the understructure can be a little weak and people can get themselves into trouble if they kind of get out out ahead of their skis, if you're a skier, you would know what that would mean. So I think kind of do things sequentially and 
know what you're doing and do it in kind of an orderly, systematic way. And I understand a lot of guys run out, they buy a hundred unit building and it works out great. So I'm just speaking from my own experience and folks can do what they want. <laughs> wow. I love it. Well, thank you for all those lessons and for telling us about your shift from single family investing to syndication investing. If folks want to reach out to you and they want to get in touch, where can they find you? Best would be uh, email, which would be arn.cinadella at gmail. And I'm starting to develop a new business around syndication. And the URL for that is investwithspark.com. Investwithspark.com. Yes. Love it. Love yes. It. That's great. Yes. Okay. So you can track me down. Cell phone, still kept the Bay Area cell phone, 650-575-6114. Happy to talk to folks about real estate. Your phone is going to get blown up, my friend. Oh, Thanks for joining I'm sure us today. with all your listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, it's been a pleasure. It's been great to meet you face to face, so to speak. Likewise, likewise. Thanks for joining us today once again. For those out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. Helps other folks learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.